0: If one parent has an illness, of course you set up more time with the other parent. But to take away the children during that time could be very damaging for the children.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. J. Craig Williams, my co-host, is unavailable to be with us today. Uh, I, of course, write a blog called Law Sites another blog called Media Law, and Craig writes com. We'd like to thank our sponsors today, Clio, the web-based practice management solution available at goclio.com, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, available at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Well, recently in North Carolina, a family judge there ruled that Elena Giordano, a mother of two living with stage four breast cancer, uh, be denied primary custody of her children uh, at the tail end of what had already been a, a, a bitter divorce and custody battle uh, with her husband, Kane Snyder. After their divorce, Kane moved to Chicago for a job opportunity and uh, according to the judge's ruling, as of June seventeenth uh, this year, the children will after to relocate to Chicago to live with their father. Elena Giordano, who is unemployed, has maintained that she's not that she is strong enough to parent and but cannot move to Chicago because she receives treatment locally in in North Carolina where she's kept her cancer under control in uh, in The judge's uh, ruling, uh, Judge Nancy Gordon, stated, quote, the course of her disease is unknown. Children who have a parent with cancer need more contact than the non-ill parent. Well, from illness to unemployment to a a rocky history between the parents, uh, this uh, has perhaps been uh, a textbook case of of a bitter divorce and custody fight. Uh, Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to Look a little bit more closely at this case and uh, at at these kinds of custody battles more generally. And uh, to help us do that, we have two guests who are well-versed in this area. Joining us first of all today is Attorney Lee S. Rosen from the Rosen Law Firm. Lee practices family law in Raleigh, Durham, and Charlotte, North Carolina. He's the former chairperson of the law practice management section of the North Carolina Bar Association and is the law practice management editor of the ABA Family Advocate. Lee was the 2010 winner of the ABA James Keene Award for Excellence in E-Lawyering. Lee writes on law practice management at divorcediscourse.com and uh, is on the web at Rosen.com. So, uh, Lee Rosen, good to talk to you again.
3: It's good to be with you. I'm a big fan of the show, and I'm honored to be here to talk about these issues today.
2: Thanks a lot. And up uh, next to join us today is attorney Sherry Donovan. Sherry Donovan is a leading matrimonial and family attorney in New York City. She's been the owner of her own firm, Sherry Donovan & Associates, since 1988, uh Sherry has also served as a family law specialist for the National Organization for Women in New York City since 1988. She's the author of the book Hit Him Where It Hurts, The Take No Prisoner's Guide to Divorce, Alimony, Custody, Child Support, and More, which addresses divorce, domestic violence, and family law issues, particularly for women and children. You can find out more about Sherry and her practice at Sheridun.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer Sherry Donovan.
0: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be part of the show, and thank you for handling such important issues.
2: Well, thank you to both of you for uh, taking the time to be with us today. Um, Lee, uh, since you're down there in North Carolina, and and perhaps uh, uh, at least uh, physically close to the closest to this case of the three of us here, uh, tell us what you know about this case. What happened here?
3: Well... You know the the biggest thing that happened is that the media got interested in this case. If you look at the case itself, it is a uh, it's a custody case. It's a messy family life that ended up in a courtroom. Uh, there are all sorts of allegations about the way that mom behaved. There are allegations about the way that dad behaved. Uh, it, custody cases are never. Uh, one issue kinds of things. They're, they're always complicated and, and challenging. In this case, is no different. It's, you know, dad was doing what he was doing, going to school, finished, got a job. All along, he was supporting the family and doing, uh, what he should do generally as a parent. Uh, mom was doing her thing as a mom, taking care of the kids, doing a, a reasonably good job of that. She also happens to have this horrible illness. Uh, but there, this is not a case that's just about the illness. It's a case about a family and kids and a complex family life.
2: Well, Sherry, uh, do you see it that way also?
0: Well, from what I understand, and I is that the issue that we do have to hone in on for future families is, and the most controversial issue is about if someone has a serious illness, what does that mean in terms of parenting? Um, and that's what concerned me in the case. I mean well, I can elaborate.
2: It, yeah, well well go ahead and elaborate. I mean it it does it certainly seems that uh, that at least part of part of the issue here, uh I, I haven't been able to find a I don't know if the judge's ruling is posted online. I, I, I haven't actually seen the actual ruling from the judge. I've read some quotes from it. Uh but clearly there was a recommendation uh uh, uh to the judge that that uh that the mother's illness uh w- was a concern with respect to her having custody and it seems the judge certainly took that into account so so Sherry what what do you, what's your perspective yeah, my, on on that
0: My take on that is that as much as possible there should be integration so if one parent has an illness of course you set up more time with the other parent but to take away the children during that time could be very damaging for the children. I mean, many of us know, and we have to look at it in the sense that, for instance, many of us know many women who have breast cancer that's very serious. I mean, I know one woman who had three surgeries in five days, and the idea of taking away her daughter when they had this beautiful bond would would be unthinkable. Um, I, I think taking the kids away in that situation is extremely damaging. They may not, A, have that much more time with that parent, and especially the distance here. Secondly, the, I mean, on the other hand, they said that the disease may not even kill her. So she may be fine if there was an assistant needed for certain functions. From what I understand, they didn't say that certain functions were not being met, like homework, etc. That can always be done with an assistant or, or some help. And also, if the other parent is able-bodied, certainly they can travel back and forth significantly. So I was concerned about the disintegration. I was concerned about making those type of abrupt changes. I could see setting up a parenting plan over a long term um, about, about more access and increasing the back and forth. And, of course, the age of the children is very important, too. But I was a little disturbed about the abruptness of it. And, of course, you know, we're just seeing one issue. Obviously, there were more issues. But if you just focus on that issue, it sets a dangerous precedent that just because someone has an illness, even a serious illness, that shouldn't be the basis of taking the children away. There may be certain accommodations that have to be made, um, but all of that should be looked at.
3: I I couldn't agree with you more, Sherry. Uh, you, you know, you have to make accommodations for an illness. It, it's just unfortunate that this case has uh, has drawn so much attention, and and it you know really points out the the some of the flaws in the media. You know, the 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 news media is more interested, I think, in selling uh, newspapers and TV ads than they are in telling the story of what really happened in a particular case, and and it's unfortunate that. Then lay people make judgments about the legal system because of what the media has reported. This case is uh, not unlike a lot of custody cases. There, there are all sorts of allegations that were made in this case. There are allegations of assault, of inappropriate uh, uh, things being said in front of the children. Uh, there's a when you go back and, and look at what the testimony was in this trial, all sorts of testimony about. Uh, Mrs. Giordano, uh, being involved with, uh, another man. Uh, you know, the, the testimony was just filled with the, the kinds of things that make a judge worry about whether she was really the parent that ought to have primary custody of the kids. And I think in, in many respects, the illness was not the focus of, of the testimony. But because it's kind of a hot button issue, you know, you've got, I think, international media taking this issue and running with it. And when I've done Google searches on this thing, I mean, there are thousands of stories that have been written about this, when in fact this case was much more about, you know, a a judge trying to figure out, do I trust mom more or do I trust dad more to do a good job raising these kids?
0: Except that you also have to look at what the decision was based on and if they cited the illness and and that was a major reason that that has to be dealt with. And on the other issues... I mean, I don't know if there were bad remarks both ways. That seems to happen quite often in these cases. You also have to look at who's been the primary caretaker and if the children's needs been met. Um, and in terms of new people, in, in, that happens often. You know, there's, there's always uh, new people in people's lives. The question is, you know, have they done something that's completely detrimental to the children? You know, are they engaging in alcohol excessively or drug use excessively or something that's very dangerous? Um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, there are things to look out for. I don't know exactly what happened here, but the, the hot buttons are definitely about serious illness, you know, also, would they do that to a man or is it just to a woman? Um, I mean, they have to look at, you know, the remarks back and forth, condescending remarks back and forth. I mean, the biggest case law we've seen, at least in New York, that the cases look at which is interesting. It used to be that the standard was primary caretaker. Who's been the primary caretaker? The judges are moving away from that. And so I don't know how that will affect the current custody situations, but there won't be that presumption anymore. Um, and secondly, they're looking at the biggest factor is the failure to cooperate with the other parent. That's the major factor now that I see in the trend of the cases.
2: Just what I seize on a point... That Lee raised here, which is the 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 media coverage of this case, and it, to to some extent, you it, you seem to be saying that that there are there are plenty of other cases out there like this, but. This happens to be one that that got picked up and, and the media ran with it. It, it. From what I understand, to, to some extent, uh, uh, Ms. Giordano brought this to the media. She started a Facebook page. She started a blog about this. Uh, there started being some posts about this on, on, on Twitter. Uh, other bloggers started to pick up on it. Um, and, and it's not clear to me whether she's— from, from what I can see, she's now saying that she's sort of kind of taken this to the media in in order to help perhaps bring attention to to the issue and to help her get a lawyer who's willing to help her uh, on a pro bono basis. Uh, I don't know whether she was represented by a lawyer at any point in this case, but it seems that she isn't now. Um, is this? I mean, is 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 this a, 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 is this somebody in part trying to? You know, try this case in in the media, and are we seeing social media uh, being used as uh, as a tactic or as a as a weapon, perhaps, in these kinds of cases? Lee?
3: Yes, totally. And she's doing a great job of it. She has a good story when she isolates this one part of the case and ignores the balance of the facts, and she's done an excellent job at uh, at promoting that using social media. And I think you know, there's a lot of passion surrounding. Uh, cancer generally, and so so you know, this kind of r- the right mix of social media and passionate people out there that will take this story and run with it. I think also she was successful at getting some attention by our uh, our local ABC affiliate, which happens to be a network owned station, and so I think that kind of helped uh, to elevate the story to, to national attention. You know, that story ended up running in other cities and really took on a life of its own and what I find
2: Good Morning America picked it up
1: yeah
3: yeah they did right exactly it's interesting when you look at her success at promoting the story um she, she's got obviously got a lot of energy and I don't blame her uh, for promoting the story and for pushing the issue you know that's what parents in custody cases do they become very passionate about it and they they do their thing and and they keep pushing the case but you know uh, when we talk about just the illness part of this uh, the cancer piece of it, there was testimony and there's, there are findings in the order that she wasn't always uh, working as hard on the illness as she has poten- maybe on, on promoting this thing in the social media. She was not always following the advice of her doctors. She ignored medical advice. She skipped treatments. Um You know, those are things that when you talk about illness as a factor in a custody decision, I think the illness can, may be an issue, but the way you handle the illness really illuminates for the judge uh, you know, what kind of person you are. It says a little bit about character and whether you should be trusted with the care of these children. And so in a, in a crazy sort of way, I think the illness uh, said a lot about her in terms of the way she handles her life.
0: I want to add a couple of points First of all, the decisions need to be made extremely clear then, okay, that then they're not basing it on the illness, they're basing it on certain behavior. And secondly, the decisions have to be based on behavior specifically also related to the children. So far, I haven't heard anything about any inappropriate behavior directly with the children except the derogatory remarks, but not that the children weren't well cared for or had an emotional attachment issue or weren't doing well in school, um... So unfortunately what happens with these custody cases is that parenting becomes under a microscope and whoever's the primary caretaker suffers the most. It's almost like a rape case, the victim, they get torn apart. Every detail of their lives get looked at. Um, Whereas us as regular parents, if you know, we don't get looked at every day. If someone did, who knows what they would find, right? With little points. So, I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned that there be clear decisions with the factors specifically laid out, not generalities in the decisions, because then you will have this problem where people get desperate and use other methods to draw attention to the issues. Um, we saw this with the Brazil case, with the custody case with Brazil, and that was with a father. So we turned the tables. And I don't know if anyone said, well, the father was using the TV and the social media and that's how he got his child back. Everyone was very sympathetic to him because the mother was in Brazil and then had died, you know, and that was an international case. So we do see this quite often. I remember I was on TV about the Britney Spears case. That case was all over the news. I was on Channel 2 and 4. And I wasn't the lawyer in the case. I was an expert, but... Every news media was hungry for something about that case. Of course, that's a celebrity case. But, you know, they had a, a field day with that case. And in regular divorce cases, we're also seeing social media play a huge part in terms of, you know, uh, you know, finding people with adultery situations and dissipation of assets on other people and, and all the Facebook and the email and, you know, so the world has changed. Electronic discovery is a major issue. Um, in matrimonial cases as well
3: i 'll tell you sherry um the the order in this case, and it's it 's you know i i mean I hate to keep attacking the media, but we 've seen all these stories uh about what happened in this case, and no one really has seen the order. The order is is i think twenty seven or twenty eight pages mm-hmm. long,
0: mm-hmm. which
3: by North Carolina standards is a <laughs> huge child custody order, and it tells the story. Uh it, it, it is very specific. Judge Gordon did a very good job of laying out the facts that were the, the proof that was offered at the at the trial. And there's all sorts of testimony from experts, like there was a psychiatric uh evaluation done that that indicated that the mother in this case uh creates crises out of her medical condition and the crises make her unavailable to provide care for the children. Uh, there's a lot of linking up of her behavior to the uh, to the ruling that the judge uh, uh, issued. There's even a story that you'll find in the order where the mother was told that she was going to be admitted to the hospital that night and that she should come and not bring the children, that she should arrange child care. For whatever reason, she decided that she didn't believe that the doctor was really going to admit her. Of course, the doctor did admit her to the hospital, and the oncologist ended up having to take the children back to to, to uh, his home instead of the mother uh, having arranged child care for these kids. And uh, it is a very specific decision linking up her behavior to the ultimate ruling, giving uh, the primary care to the father. I just, I just wanted to be clear about that, because I think the judge really did what she was supposed to do.
2: But there was, uh, I mean, this is, again, I'll... Granted, this is a media extract, but but here's here's a quote uh, attributed to Judge Gordon's decision. Uh, I am going to just read the quote. It says, "The more contact the children have with the non-ill parent, the better they do. They divide their world into the cancer world, and if in a free of cancer world, children want a normal childhood, and it is not normal with an ill parent." Uh, that's pretty specific, uh, and, and I realize that's, you know, uh, one paragraph out of whatever you said, 20-plus pages. Uh, but it certainly seems that the judge is is uh, giving a lot of weight to the, to the illness of the mother here.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of problems with that paragraph because I don't think it's two separate worlds. I think it has to be an integrated world. And I think also that to deny the reality of the sickness and of the children have nothing to do with it, that will cause them psychological issues later because if they deny any contact with with a parent who's ill or keep them away from it, it's just not real. I'm not saying they have to be around an ill person all the time, even if it's their parent, but there should be, what I said in the beginning of the program, some type of integration. I think what we can extract from this case is to use the issue about serious illness with a parent to provide models for the future in a positive way and how that gets dealt with. And, of course, you need two sane people, two rational people, which is always difficult <laughs> co-parenting um, once you're separated or divorced. But basically, what type of models are we going to set up so that we can have assistance for an ill parent, not young children away who then may suffer psychological damage from not having the contact with a parent they may not have much contact with before uh, later if it's, if it's death, but also integrating the non-ill parent more and more. You know, that's like what I would recommend as a model in these cases.
3: You know, Bob, you uh, you mentioned the uh, issue of social media coming up in these cases and people, you know, fighting their, their cases out on blogs or on Twitter or Facebook or wherever it may be. And I think that I, I do see that happening increasingly. And it's It's really an unfortunate, I think, use of social media. In this case, you know, all this attention is post-judgment. I don't think it will have any uh, impact, the social media attention or the media attention generally, on an appeal in a custody case. And what it does when people fight these things out in, in that sort of public forum is really make it difficult for mom and dad to work together going forward. It's hard enough to recover from what happened in a courtroom, but when you start doing it in front of the whole world, uh, it's got to make it just incredibly difficult for mom and dad to find a new way to work together. And, you know, all of these parents have to. I mean, they have many years of, of having to work together after the decision is made. And I just hate to see, uh, I hate to see them do this to one another, and it's so easy to do now that it's almost irresistible but gosh, I don't know how these how these folks spend the next ten or fifteen years cooperating
2: after that has. Happened. Yeah, hold, hold, hold that thought, and let's pick up on that in just a second. I need I need to take a take us to a short break, and we'll be back in, in just a few seconds to continue this conversation.
4: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, President of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No. I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pr- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O ocom
1: Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com slash legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Thanks for
2: tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand-new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis
1: Firm Manager at no charge or to learn more, Visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not?
4: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening or go to com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
1: Perfect. I'll do that right now.
2: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Craig Williams, is not with us today. Uh, we are talking today about a uh, divorce cases, custody cases, uh, and whether uh, the health of the parent uh, should be a factor in, in those cases, uh, particularly a, a severe disease such as breast cancer. And we're talking with our two guests, uh, Attorney Lee Rosen from the Rosen Law Firm in North Carolina and Attorney Sherry Donovan with Sherry Donovan and Associates in New York City. Uh, it, it, Sherry, it sounded like you were about to say something before we went to break. and I just wanted to give you an opportunity uh, if you wanted to follow up on that.
0: Thank you. The only thing I would say is to use this opportunity. I think the next step in custody cases uh, across the country, and California has done a good job of it, but I think the East Coast needs to catch up. I don't know down southly, but is the use of parent coordinators. I'm a major advocate of the use of parent coordinators. So either during these custody battles, before they begin, uh, during a divorce or before separation, even post-divorce, post-separation, particularly post, that for the listeners out there, professional and non-professional, I strongly urge everyone to consider in these conflicts the use of parent coordinators. These Explain are, that,
2: Sherry. I'm not sure what yeah, I that I understand what that means.
0: Yeah, these are professionals, um, lawyers and psychologists, and I've been trained as well in this, that deals with the conflicts with the parents concerning communication, access schedules, because, as Lee pointed out, once you're in the war zone, once you're in litigation, and particularly if you don't have a parent coordinator and you're in litigation, it's very difficult to build those bridges. And a parent coordinator can help build the bridges in high-conflict situations. Um, So it's different than mediation, where the people have extreme difficulty communicating. The parent coordinator is almost like a coach for both parents. So they might rewrite emails. They might come up with creative solutions. You know, for instance, even on little points like holidays, or even like in this case with an illness, you can look at the specific issues and see what the problems are and work out the type of assistance that's needed. Let's say if there's a problem functioning, um, if there's an issue about particularly interstate, about getting back and forth or getting the children back and forth. Some of it's very practical solutions. Some of it's communication styles. To have a neutral person with some training involved is extremely critical. In some states, it's mandatory to have a parent coordinator. I think many, many more states need to move in this direction. Even with budget cuts, et cetera, it actually will save money in the long run because I think it will ease litigation. And there's been statistics in states that have had that parent coordination where basically it has eased the litigation. Um, So I think that's the next step that we need to go in this direction for custody issues.
3: Well, we have the parent coordinator system in in North Carolina, like obviously uh, in a lot of states and uh it is terrific it it really does help in a high conflict custody case and this case uh uh the Giordano case now that it has been resolved and assuming nothing changes on appeal which i think the odds are you know, things just don't change in custody cases on appeal statistically uh this case probably needs someone like that to get involved in the case, some sort of expert that can help deal with some of these issues, because the alternative is that the, this family keeps coming back to court, you know, every six months or year uh, for the rest of these children's lives, and that does not benefit anybody. It's a horrible uh, thing for the kids.
2: Well, you know, when I when you were saying earlier, that, Lee, uh, this issue of uh playing these things out in social media and the impact it could have I I, I couldn't help but think about the, the you know the the messy divorce du jour uh, which is Schwarzenegger Shriver case we've all been hearing about in the media all week and uh, hearing reports yesterday uh you know about the, the the kids of of that marriage. At least one of whom is is an adult, and the others are in their teen years. I think. Uh, you know, commenting themselves uh, on Facebook and in other social media about their reactions to this. Uh, how do you? You know, is it important for parents to try and somehow insulate their their kids from from social media? Is it possible to for for parents to? to 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 prevent kind of these things from spilling over into the in, into the social media even even for a non-celebrity family these days.
3: Yeah, I, I think you you know you've no matter what family, uh the way to insulate the kids from it cuz you're certainly not going to keep the kids anymore away from, you know, Facebook. I mean, it, the reality is that's become the center of, of, of their universe. And so your kids are one way or another going to be exposed to social media. The key is for the parents not to say nasty things about one another, not just on, on social media, but anywhere. You know, and I think it's they have a very difficult time seeing the distinguishing the long term from the short term. They're angry, they're upset, uh, they're emotional, and so in the short term, parents are likely to say upset things in public forums. But they've got to get a hold of themselves and recognize that this person may, may feel like the enemy today, but is is going to be someone you have to cooperate with and work with for for many years. And, you know, Sherry, I mean, I don't want to give you a hard time about it, but when you write a book called Hit Him Where It Hurts, The Take No Prisoner's <laughs> Guide to Divorce, um, it, it, that doesn't feel like the kind of thing that helps a parent to decide not to do nasty things to the other parent. Have I mean, you read I, the book, it sounds to me, you know, you You're an advocate, it sounds like, for parent coordinators and, and, and working together, but gosh, that feels like it riles them up and causes them to say nasty things.
0: Actually, what it does, first of all, the book was written in 2007, and the publisher came up with the title because they said a successful guide to divorce <laughs> doesn't attract anyone's attention. <laughs> but if you've read the book, which it sounds like you haven't, um, you will see that the information inside is very balanced and very helpful. Um, but at that time, the statistics were is that women were getting brutally attacked in custody cases and divorce cases, and the statistics showed that their income was actually going down by over a third and that the the male's family income was going up by over 40%. And women didn't know how to articulate. They didn't know how to defend themselves. So when you look at it from that perspective, you weren't in an equal zone. And what you found was is that Literally, they were in a a defenseless position. And I think the editor, Adams Media, is the same one who does Reader's Digest, was trying to get something that would make women stand up a little bit. Because I've had cases, and I've seen the cases through the National Organization for Women. And statistically, it was shown that because they were so abused in the relationship, physically and emotionally and verbally, and that does tend to be more female than male, particularly a few years ago, Hopefully, we're getting away from that, but still, domestic violence occurs every couple seconds as we speak. Another woman is dying over domestic violence. So basically, in those situations, um, the need for some confidence and articulation, the self-esteem was so low that they weren't even accepting money to protect their children, let's say child support or maintenance money, etc. cetera. Um, so that's, that's the root of that. Obviously, we want to heal families and move forward.
3: Exactly, I couldn't agree with you more. And and uh, everything we the media is causing enough trouble in a case like this Giordano case. We've got to do everything we can to help parents take care of their children. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Hey. Okay. We we are we are getting close to the end of our time, and I, I did want to give each of you an opportunity to kind of share your 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 overall closing thoughts on this topic uh, before we do run out of time. So, uh, and also uh, let our listeners know how they can follow up with you, get more information about you. So, Lee Rosen, let me start with you.
3: Uh, best way to reach me: I write about law practice management every day at divorcediscourse.com, and the law firm website is rosen.com. The the thing to take away from this Giordano case, I think, is a don't uh, don't believe everything you read. The media does have a tendency to pick up one piece of these cases and not to look at the whole package. And and then the other thing is that the kids really do matter. We've got to put them first. Best interest of the children is the legal standard, and that's what we need to stay focused on and not get bogged down in these peripheral issues.
2: All right, well, thank you very much. And uh, Sherry, uh, your final thoughts.
0: Sure, you can reach me. My website is Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-I, at SherryDonovan, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, dot com. My email is Sherry at sherrydonovan.com. And my final thought, basically, is that there is a Children's Bill of Rights, and everyone should keep that in mind, not to disparage the other parent, not to use the children as messengers. And if you follow this Children's Bill of Rights, which is on my website, I think kids will do a lot better. Thank you.
2: Lee Rosen, Sherry Donovan, thank you both for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, that about does it for this week's program. I'd like to remind our listeners, as always, that they can find this in all of our programs at thelegaltalknetwork.com and in the podcast library on iTunes. And they can get CLE credit uh, for listening to at least some of our episodes by going to the uh, – following the West Legal Ed Center link off the legaltalknetwork.com webpage. Uh, Until next week, uh, this is Bob Ambrosi, and Craig Williams will be back with us then.
1: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.